On today's episode of Family Flowers Only, I speak to Kathleen Chada. Kathleen is from Carlo. She is a nurse and mom to Owen and Rory. She is a campaigner for real justice and author of the book, Everything. Please be aware the following details some listeners may find upsetting. On July 29th, 2013, Kathleen's former husband, Sanjeev Chada, murdered their sons, Owen 10 and Rory 5 and later attempted to take his own life. He killed the boys in Ballantubber, County Mayo, and their bodies were found in the boot of his car, which he had crashed near Westport in an attempt to take his own life. He pleaded guilty in court and was handed two life sentences to run concurrently. Kathleen has often spoke publicly about what happened and the justice side of things, but I wanted to give her the opportunity to focus on the boys, who they were and what they were like and about her own personal experiences through grief and loss. She is such an impressive woman who gave so much wisdom and many insights into how she copes since her horrific loss. I hope this episode is helpful for you and that you enjoy our chat. So hi, Kathleen, how are you? I'm good, Gathy. You're very welcome. You've travelled from Dublin all the way down to <laughs> me way here in Galway. <laughs> I don't know why we say down. It's a cross, really, cross. isn't it? It was a cross uh, <laughs> and it felt like a cross, actually. Yeah, just just across the country. Straight road. Straight road yeah. all the way. And so, Kathleen, you're originally from Carlow. I am. Yes. From a little village called Ballinkillen. OK. Just beside, uh, just between Bagnallstown and Burris. OK. I've never actually been to Carlow. That's bad, oh. isn't it? <laughs> well, in <laughs> fairness, it's not somewhere you pass through. No, so, that's yeah, true. Yeah, you have to yeah, specifically have to go, go there. there. Yeah. yeah. So obviously you have come in today and we're going to talk a little bit about your own experience of loss and grief, yeah. which has been quite a lot in your life, uh, probably more than some people would experience in a lifetime. Um, but before that, we'll just go back to the beginning Growing up in Carlo. <laughs> Growing up. <laughs> what was that like? Uh, it was great, yeah. actually. I, I had a very, um, a very good, I suppose, upbringing, a very grounded upbringing. You know, my mom was a nurse um, and my dad's a farmer, uh, was a farmer. And um, I'm the oldest of six. So uh, I've got four brothers and a sister younger than me. Um, big family. Big family mm. of us. Yeah. And uh, the boys were between myself and my sister. So there's 10 years between my, myself and Irene. And uh, so, yeah, no, it was a normal sort of, as I would describe it, a normal, ordinary upbringing, really. Mm. Um, a small village um, right in the middle of the village. We lived opposite the church, uh, the community centre, the school, the shop. Mm. Um, so everything was there. Uh, I used to think I grew up in the country, but I realised that that wasn't the country. <laughs> it was it was a village. We had street lights, <laughs> so um, quite quite different in that way. But it was uh, it was good. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. Um, happy. happy 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 times. times. I aspired to be a nurse like my mum, so uh, that was all I ever wanted to do really. And I, I did my training over in in the UK in mm. uh, Kingston, um, and uh, came back to Ireland for a couple of years. Then after I qualified. Worked in um, Navan actually for for about two years and then went off to Saudi Arabia. Wow. And so in Saudi Arabia, that was around 96, 97? Yeah. 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 So about 96, I went over. Yeah. Okay. And so you, while you were there, met and fell in love with um, With, Sanj. That's it. Yeah. Um, We, I was there probably about, I think I was there about a year or thereabouts um, at that stage and was quite settled into life over there. I enjoyed it. 
Um, you know, a lot of people kind of questioned Saudi and being living in Saudi and what was it like and the restrictions and that. It wasn't that restrictive mm. for us. It was it was a um, it was a lifestyle I'd never had before. Mm. Um, suddenly I could afford to go shopping in a way I couldn't have done. <laughs> uh, the design, well, the designer gear for me was next and Benetton. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but but that in itself, you yeah. know, uh, so it was, you know, life was was nice. It was good over there. And mm. then I met Sanj um, at a party mm. and uh, we we clicked straight away. Um, in fairness, we got on really well together. Um, we chatted and talked for ages. Um, I was attracted to him. He was for me that tall, dark and handsome. You know, I know the the photographs that are out there now are not not that. But at the time he was, you know, he um, he's Indian origin. His, he was born actually in Northern Ireland, brought up in London, but his parents are from India and so he, you know, he was dark skin, dark hair, um, you know, brown eyes. He was, he was, you know, he ticked all the boxes for me mm. at the time. And uh, yeah, we we were together for about three and a half years in Saudi when he left or before he left. I stayed on for a bit longer um, and I was able to, I had lots of holidays, we'll say, when I was over there. So um, he went off traveling for a year and I, um, I suppose I, by staying in Saudi, I had the holidays and the money to be able to go and join him. Mm. Um, I'm not a backpacker. Um, so it wasn't something that I aspired to, to do. <laughs> Let him off and I'll go and meet you for the nice holiday parts of the holiday. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that worked, um, you know, and it, it's funny towards the end of that, he had come back to the UK and was was sort of job hunting. I went back to Saudi um, and I knew it was a make or break for the relationship. We either I either moved back home either to Ireland or at the plan at the time was to the UK actually to London um, or the relationship was going to to finish we'd had about two years of that long distance at that stage and you know it was time uh, to, yeah. to make a decision and um, so yeah so we I moved back mm. um, to the UK back the plan had been the UK yes. but in the meantime <laughs> in the meantime my mother had heard uh, an interview from somebody from the Sims Clinic in Dublin um, fertility clinic. I was working in the fertility clinic out in, in Riyadh. Um, so my mum went job hunting for me. She happened to, to hear, <laughs> uh, I think, on the Jerry Ryan show. Uh, so she phoned up the clinic to say, my daughter's coming back from Saudi Arabia. She's working in the fertility clinic. Any chance of a job or words to that effect? And what I didn't realise at the time was that fertility nurses or nurses with fertility experience were very thin on the ground, particularly here in Ireland. So um so, yeah, I was sought after, <laughs> which Amazing. was great. Um, so I took a job in in Sims in Dublin and uh, and, and kind of never looked back. Sanj, we, we made the decision that we'd be able to manage between, you know, London and Dublin wasn't going to be the end of the world. We'd, we'd kind of yeah. do the weekend thing. But I got pregnant with Owen within a couple of months of me being back here. Wow. So we had literally come out. So I had taken the job. Um, in uh, in Sims and and we started house hunting. We kind of decided we'd we'd settle a little bit or we'd at least look at. So we started looking at houses. I think we pretty much bought the first house. We put a deposit on the first one that we saw. We liked the estate. It was out in City West, and uh, it was a new build, so it was going to be another year or so before it was ready anyway. Um, so we put the deposit down on that. Got all excited and got the family up to see it and and all of the you know, the show house. And um, 
kind of then settled back, if you like. And then suddenly I, I find out I was pregnant. So that was not planned. Um, uh, but yeah, so that kind of changed the whole direction of where we were going to go and the relationship. Mm. Um, you know, I wasn't that long in the job that I was in, but they were very supportive. Um and uh, I went off on maternity leave. The house still wasn't ready. So we ended up moving in with my mum and dad for a few months. And uh, when Owen came. When Owen came. Yeah, yeah. So that was lovely, actually. And it was great to them. tell me about Owen when he arrived. Oh, wow. He was tiny. Was he? <laughs> he was. He was only five and a half pounds. Oh, my God. Um, was he full term? He was probably a couple of weeks early, oh. um, uh, I think, by by date, certainly. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, he was tiny. And he ended up... It's, it's funny. I was due to deliver in... Well, I did deliver in Hollis Street, but... And I, we had had, so at that stage, um, we still had the apartment we were renting and, uh, and it was literally five minutes away, walk away from, from Hollow Street. So I had it all planned in my head what I was going to do. I was going to be in the apartment. I know I was in labor because you just know, <laughs> and I was going to have a bath and I was going to relax and it was going to be watching television and I'd make the decision. So I did all of this planned out in my head. Instead, I was down in Carlo, down at my mum. Uh, we'd gone to the beach that day because it was a glorious day. This is the end of June. Gorgeous day. I was like a panda because I was after getting burnt. I had a burnt belly, arms, shoulders and face. Big panda, white eyes because I had my sunglasses on. And I actually went to the last of the um, uh, antenatal classes. Mm. So I was doing it with a, um, a, a midwife down home, actually, not, not far from my mum's house. And um, I was in there, went to the loo, discovered I was bleeding, panicked, didn't know what to do. She wanted me to go into Kilkenny and I was like, no, because Sanj at this stage was working up in the north. So he was in um, in Newcastle and County Down. And I remember phoning him and he pretty much said, yeah, well, no, let me know what's going on. And and, and kind of hung up and then phoned back within a minute going, what am I talking about? Like, you know, I'll, I'll meet you. I'll come down. Um and uh, I decided I'd head up to Hollow Street. It was just easier. Everything was there, file and yeah. and, uh, and everything was up in the apartment and what have you. So, uh, so yeah, got my brother brought me. Well, one brother brought me halfway and the other brother who was living in Dublin met me and um, we he, he brought me up and uh, yeah, so into Hollow Street and literally I'd say I got in about one o'clock in the morning and he was born at about half six. So it was wow. fairly fast. Wow. Yeah. So he was coming, he was and, coming that was and that was it. And a good baby. Uh, oh, yeah. Incredible. He was just a sweetheart. Yeah. Now, he was a normal, normal of baby, course. but he he was um, he 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 was gorgeous. He yeah. was. He was, you know, I would say that he, he took the best of both of us. And in fairness, both of us were were dark brown hair eyes and that sort of thing so he had all of Beautiful. that he was gorgeous mm. gorgeous mm. um and a good baby from mm. from the start he ended up in in special care for a couple of nights because uh, mm. just his coming blood sugar is coming coming mm. a little bit early um and that actually was funny because that i always say that that gave me a couple of nights to to recover and yeah, to rest yeah, yeah, yeah. um you know you could tune out other babies crying because <laughs> you knew it wasn't yours yeah. 
and, uh, you know, I was breastfeeding and um, got, it took a while to get that established, but it worked. And because he was so small, I was pumping and topping him up because I was terrified he was going to lose weight. And yeah, no. And I was, you know, I had a, I had a notepad and pen where I was writing down how long I was breastfeeding for and how many minutes on each side. All of that going kind of, you know, a new mum, yeah. basically. And how um, did you find being was, a new mum? Did you love it? it? I loved it. Absolutely loved it. I loved being pregnant. I know a lot of people don't, but I loved being pregnant and I love those early months and years up to about, yeah, and, and, and up to about 18 months, I love that, that babiness. I love Mm. that sort of uh, softness. So it didn't, it didn't bother me. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, and I was, I suppose I was based um, initially when we had the apartment still, um, I'd stayed there and then. Um, we I moved down to my mum's for for a while. The house still wasn't ready. If you yeah. like the apartment, uh, the house, I should say, and we we kind of needed to move out of the apartment or renew a, ne- a lease. So, um, uh, that kind of worked, and it was lovely because you know while I had my I had a niece, my brother had a, a little girl, but they were in Australia. So mm. this was the first grandchild around here, home, around home. Oh God, and he was ruined. Ruined, <laughs> absolutely ruined. Aww. We weren't. So when when I got pregnant, we weren't married. Um, yeah. We planned on getting engaged. All right, because we were buying the house, uh, yeah. buying the house, but we weren't actually married. So um, that was that was tough on on both sets of parents, actually, at the time, even though we were both in our 30s, we'd been together for about seven years. We would bought a house together. Mm. There was still. Yes, um, of course, that generation, that generation followed. Yeah. A, yeah. And a plan, yeah. I and yet. When I look back on it, um, my mum and dad adored Owen. Yeah, but they did. They do all their grandchildren. Of now, course, don't get yeah. me wrong, but he was the first that they could get their hands on, if you like. My dad in particular. My mum had gone over to Australia, but dad wouldn't travel. So uh, this was um, and being a boy, maybe as well with my dad. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, they had a really, really good relationship. Aww. It was lovely. They bring so much happiness. happiness he brought just, happiness absolutely. to the Absolutely. He just, he just livened it up. Yeah. So, um, so not long after that. Yeah. You were joined by another, another absolutely, boy. yeah. Uh, so Rory came along. Um, we so I had gone back to work, and Sandra. We'd made the decision that Sandra would be a stay-at-home dad. We could afford to live on one salary. Um, you know the mortgage. We didn't take sort of big holidays or anything like that. Life was was quieter, I suppose. But um, we kind of felt. It was you know when we could do it, we would, mm. and um. We were, I suppose we stayed in, in Dublin for a few years. We were very lucky then. We bought sort of as as prices were going up and we sold at the peak. Uh, we got the opportunity to move back down to Carlo. Um, so within sort of about four years, I suppose, Owen was born. We'd sold that. We'd moved into the house, sold the house and moved down to Carlo and built our own house on, on my dad's land. He, he gave me a site. And, um, and then Rory came along. So... Um, Again, I always say I was, you know, at that stage, I decided I was never moving again because a new house seemed to mean a new baby when it <laughs> happened. But uh, but yeah, no, I was working down in Kilkenny at that stage. And uh, yeah, it was it was uh, again to see the joy on Owen's face when Rory was, was born was incredible. Ask. They were very close. Was Owen very excited? Oh, very excited. Very excited. And I think, you know, at that stage, he was four and a half, which meant I could he'd had his time. You know, yeah. he'd had that undivided yeah, attention yeah, sure. and, um, you know, and, and he was part of the process now. Um, you know, our, again, Rory was early. Rory was about four, 
four, at least four weeks early. So he was about 10 days in special care in, in Kilkenny. And uh, but he was fine and you knew he was fine. So mm. that was that was important. But again, five and a half pounds. So tiny. But uh, I remember on one occasion, so I'd been in a few nights and they were kind of keeping me in for as long as they could because of, of Rory being in, in special care. And but it was a Sunday evening and they'd said I could go out for tea if I wanted and come back in. So I remember going out with Owen and Sanj and we had had our tea and we came back and then Owen had to say, we'd never thought to tell Owen that I wasn't going home with them. And you never. So remember that night, um, you know, talking to one of the midwives, I was in tears going, I'm crying because I can't go home with Owen, but I'm also crying because tomorrow I am going home and leaving Rory, My other baby, yeah. baby behind, Rory behind. Torn. So you're completely torn. It was the first time I went, oh, my God, what's is this how it's going to oh, yeah, be? I guess because he, yeah. he had your undivided yeah. attention before that. That's it. And, and you probably felt guilty, guilty and all, and yeah, all yeah, of that yeah. and guilty about leaving Rory behind of course, then. And, yeah. um, as uh, as so many mums of, of and I mean, I can only imagine what it would be like for those that have babies in special care or, mm. you know, I see for for months, yeah, you know, know yeah. that is my heartbreaking. My, you know, absolutely. But uh, but no, it was um, so you got home anyway. at home and we settled into life and, um, you know, I went back to work and and yeah, the boys, they they were very, very close. You know, there's there's four and a half, nearly five years between them. Um, but uh, you'd never know. And Rory, I always said that Owen had a very quiet confidence about him. Mm. Um. Yeah, there was nothing quiet about Rory <laughs> at all. Really? No, he was just full on. And he's his confidence came from Owen. He had a big brother that had his back mm-hmm. all of the time, mm-hmm. no matter what, even when he was driving him demented. And he did because um, they were quite different in their personalities. Mm. Um, you know, as I say, Rory, much more outgoing, own much quieter. Mm. Um, and uh, but they had a there's a safety, isn't there, for the second yeah, child sometimes? Yeah, they, you know, absolutely. They can just let loose. Just let loose. And, yeah. You know, and, and again, Owen, they were both sports mad, but Owen had started hurling and he was playing football and all of that. And Rory would have grown up pretty much on the sidelines of watching that. You know, he'd only just started to get into all of that, really. Mm. And um, but that confidence, he the confidence around Owen's friends, you know, I mean, he he didn't see himself as a little brother. He saw himself as one of the boys, you know, um, <laughs> so you couldn't you couldn't have you couldn't have them both with a play date over at the same time because Rory would have ditched his in order to be with Owen's, you know, and the bigger boys. So you had Locked to be careful to mm. um, and also had to be careful that there was, you know, that Owen didn't end up uh, taking that responsibility, mm-hmm. if you like, which he could easily have done, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, that that he got his own time and, and, and that. So you'd take Rory away somewhere or, you know, he'd go on a play date somewhere else or, or something like that just to divide it up a little bit. But uh, and what did they what yeah. were their interests? What did they like to do? Sports. Sport. Sports, 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 sports. What kind of sports? Um, so hurling for Owen was the first love. Rory wasn't quite sure yet whether it was hurling or football. Um, he did like the football, though, uh, but they both played golf. 
Wow. And Owen had really gotten into the golf and uh, just loved it. And I was the kind of, yeah, you know, the curling and golfing kind of do complement each other a little bit as yeah. it happens. But, but golf uh, seems to golf. suit his, his cool. Yes. Uh, personality and, and it did yeah. it did he was you know he's quite methodical in, in yeah. that way um, and uh, cycling Owen was getting into actually he wow. was really really um, starting to got the gear and kids. very active yeah. now don't get me wrong absolutely <laughs> loved the you know the, the tablet or the computer yes. or you know all of that but if you were to stand in front of them and if you picked up a hurl or football they were literally out the door gone. it was it was gone which you know as a mom you were very proud of yeah. you know um, they both love food yeah. Uh, Owen loved cooking. I mean, and himself, I'm not a cook. Sanj was the cook in the house and um, himself and Owen would have loved experimenting with food and, and trying different recipes. And they did a lot of Indian food, cooked a lot of Indian food. Um, and, uh, you know, Sanj's mum is a fantastic cook. Um, so, again, you know, I I remember you know, well, less so with Rory, I suppose, because I got I, I knew what I was doing at that stage. Um, but with Owen, you know, starting them off with sort of, you know, Indian food, the spiciness and, and all of that. But actually, Owen, from about two and a half, three, adored Indian food. You could not get enough into it. He wow. just loved it. Wow. Um, and literally their favorite meal was dal and rice. And I can again, as a mother, I went, my boys. Lentils, so proud. vegetables. How I, I've got it so right. I was so cocky about it. Yeah. <laughs> no bacon and cabbage. No, there. no, <laughs> and no rubbish. Yeah, they would. You know, so that was they the thing. They loved food. their food. Food. Wow. Now, again, if we were to go to McDonald's, of course they're going to have something. Yeah, yeah. But their treat. Um, and and we tried to go out. One of the things we did was go out most Sundays for lunch. It was just what we did. We didn't have a big social life as such. So I always said that was our, our social life. And the boys used to try and take it in turns as to who got to choose. Um, so we went to an Indian shop in Carlo. Um, they used to do a lovely uh, buffet on Sundays. And um, that was Rory's choice every time for the white chicken. So chicken korma, basically. Oh, yeah, but they loved the idea of being able to go up and take as much or as little as they wanted and they could go up two or three times so and they loved they this. loved all of that so the yeah and and um and and yeah just trying new things mussels calamari they love i mean wow, owen really. loved the idea of cuz he'd use the shells and the mussels to take the next one you know that the fascinating but but wow. they they just enjoyed trying new things um and the rule was if you didn't like it that was okay but you had to have tried it and they, in the the latter year, um, they were sleeping together. Uh, Owen had decided, they had their own rooms, but Owen had decided that he wanted to see, could he have a year without sleeping in his own bed? As <laughs> 10 year olds yeah. decide. Right. And uh, so, yeah, so they were sleeping together in, uh, Owen had a, uh, Rur, uh, Owen had a, a kind of a single bed sleeper thing, but Rory had the double bed wow. uh, in his room. So they slept together. They're, they were so they attached. They were so attached, so close. And like literal... Uh, or others. or others in in listening to you it's such a i'm getting a real well-rounded picture of just a busy full happy joyous yeah normal inverted quotes uh life yeah but i suppose just to bring it forward then you were working and yeah. i suppose in 2013 yeah um the boys were 10 and 5 yeah and sanj was Trading a little bit. That was his work. Gambling. 
basically. Yeah. Uh, but it, it at the time, you wouldn't know. I would have known it right. as, a, as, a, as that. So finance, his background is finance. Mm-hmm. Um, we would have uh, made investments over the years um, when we were in Saudi. That's where he developed the interest in trading. And and it was something that he, I suppose it was, I saw it maybe as a hobby of sorts. I used to joke, you know, we'll know he's made it when I can retire. Right. Um, but I wasn't planning that anytime soon. Um, and I I suppose just before, about 10 days before the boys were killed, he I discovered that he had embezzled money from our local community centre, uh, which was devastating and shocking because I would have seen him as probably one of the most honest people. Mm. I, I, I could never have seen this side of him. You never uh, questioned his never questioned trustworthiness. It. No. And I always say it was something that was hidden in the open because I literally could have stood over his shoulder looking at what he was doing on the computer with the, the trading, if you like. But I hadn't a clue. So he was doing this as a pastime. Pastime in, mm. in my, my mind. It was something that he enjoyed doing. Now, mm. there were times where you knew it was maybe a little bit more than that. There were times where he got really angry. Mm. Um, but... You know, again, in a relationship, you're concentrating on so much else. And our fi- I always said when I found out what he had done, and I mean, obviously, we were, as a family, devastated. My parents were really worried, um, worried for me. And I said I was luckier than many wives of gamblers uh, in that our mortgage was up to date. Our bills were paid. Mm. I was the one working, so it was coming into my account, but Santa had full access to that. Mm. Um, so while we weren't well off, you know, you were literally living maybe from paycheck to paycheck, mm. but we were OK. Mm. We weren't hugely in debt. We had a credit card, but it wasn't huge, huge debt. Yeah. And so we would have gotten through it. Um, but obviously you got quite a shock when you got this news. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, totally unexpected. And I remember the day that I found out um, that it was during the summer holidays. I had Rory Sanders after bringing Owen down to um, he had actually the, the, the only a couple of weeks previously he had for his 10th birthday, he'd gotten uh, to join the Burris Golf Club. He, you had to be 10 to do it. So he just turned 10. That was his birthday present mm. was the subscription golf or the membership. golf membership. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was where they were and found out. Uh, so anyway, my parents were the ones to tell me. Um, and I I remember Sanch didn't. He he basically disappeared for the afternoon. He left Owen with a friend. And now he told me, so it wasn't, you know, uh, that I didn't know where Owen was or anything, but Sanj disappeared. And I remember that time being really, really worried mm-hmm. that because he wasn't coming home. Now, he'd answer the phone some of the time when I'd phone him and not always. And I thought he was going to do something to himself. And it sounds awful now, but I look back on that time and I go, I wish I wish that is what had happened. Uh, not what did ultimately happen. You know, um, that's that's hindsight, hindsight that if 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 anything was to, you know, and I would have been devastated. We would have all have been devastated if that had been the case. Of course, we would. And we would never have known. No, you never. It would, have been, would totally have been, it would have been totally different experience. It yeah. would never have been. I'd have never known. I'd have never been in a situation where I'd have said, thought 
that he would have even considered doing what he did. Mm. So I remember that day being really worried. And I remember coming home, him coming home. And, you know, I go into, I suppose, fix it mode and, and OK, this is where we are. What do we do about it? Mm. And um, we talked and, and, you know, he when we went to the solicitor to kind of talk through options and what we were going to do. And in my head, we were like, OK, if we have to sell the house, we'll sell the house. Um, You know, he was now going to have to find a job outside the home. The boys were now five and ten, so that was going to be easier. We're close to my parents. And, you know, so if, from a school perspective, if we have to drop them to there in the mornings, you know, all of this had gone through my head mm. within sort of a couple of days. Um, And um, I now know what was going through his head. But it, it was quite a substantial amount of, of money. 50, about 55,000. Okay. Yeah. And so landed with this news. You know, you had not said, get out of the house. No. don't want to see you ever again. No. You had come together, had a few conversations yeah. and says, look, we'll do what we need to do in the meantime. Time. Call, contact solicitors. Sure. See the what guys, we can do. See what we can do. Yeah. And you, he went to the guards himself just yeah. to notify them. Yeah. Um, and um, so it looks so like it he was, was going to try and work try with and work you to with, get to get to the to, to, to the make end, it right, to make it right, and to to fix it in whatever yeah. way we could. He did ask me at one point, "What did it mean for us?" Where you know, and I remember saying to him, "I said, look, I'm not, I'm not asking you to leave the house. I'm not kicking you out. It's a, it's a lot of work ahead of us. Mm. Um, I don't know where it's going to end up yeah. between uh, he and I. Things were obviously tense between us." Sure. And um, but I said, you know, and I did talk about him going back to the UK for work because I thought there might be a better chance of him getting work. He's got family with business over there. So I thought, you know, even if that kind of is a stepping stone, because at this point he hadn't worked for 10 years, mm. you know, justified it was a stay at home dad. But at the same time, um, you just know, to, to pay to off, pay this, off debt. this debt and, get and it done. Yeah, yeah. And, and see that stage, it was just such preliminary sort of, sort of yes. chats and discussions. Yeah. Um, and you had uh, a weekend planned away. Planned then. away. Yes, we went down to Duncanon. Um, we were camping. That had been planned from way back. So we went down there. That was a that was a strange one. Uh, very strange for me. Mm. The boys know. And I I mean, we went out of our way to make sure that they enjoyed it. And, you know, the the beach and Hookhead and with the bicycles with us. So they went cycling and, you know, things like that, that you try and make it as normal as possible. Mm. Owen was aware that something was going on, mm. um, but Rory was oblivious. Um, he was too young, mm. um, you know, and I I remember at the time thinking, look, we'll, we'll have to sit Owen down and both of them down to a certain extent because they would have been going back to school at the end of mm. August. Um, but in my head, we still had a month to kind of, yeah. you know, build up and for us to know where we were going to be um, in regards to that. And I suppose something like that, when, you know, the news of this embezzlement comes, it obviously came as a huge shock. And up to that point in your life was probably the worst thing to have happened. Yes. Um, and I suppose you were gathering up like anything when it comes, it's a bit of an explosion, but it was probably settling for settling. you. Um, was. And in my head, the week after we came back from Duncanon, mm. um, there was a calmness about Sanj. And I would have... Note now you you kind of note I had I had taken some parental leave at mm -hmm. that time so I actually had five weeks off that summer so I had two weeks of holidays and three weeks of parental leave, um so I still I was still on leave at this stage, and um I, I remember you know as I say when we came back he, he there was 
you're getting on with things and you're doing things. So you're not really sort of focused on it. And because I'd had the conversation with him about not doing anything sort of to himself, I was more confident that, no, that, you know, we were just getting he on with things okay. now. He'll be OK. And he I thought it was that everything was out in the open. I hadn't kicked him out. We were dealing with this and getting on with it. It was embarrassing, but we were getting on with things. I thought that was what the calmness was about. What I d now know is that he had a plan and that plan was to not be around to face to the face, the face, the face what he'd done. Um, his original plan had been to take all of us. He had I just subsequently discovered that, you know, he'd had thoughts of, of family annihilation. Um, and I use those words because actually it, it's what it was, was he intended killing me and the boys and himself. From, from quite some time before. But this was, this was, I suppose, again, it's hindsight. You, you only know those things, you, you know, in advance. And I always say that, you know, if I'd known what I now know, I'd never have let the boys into the car with him. Of course I wouldn't. I wouldn't have even dreamed. I would have kicked him out. Of course but you would. But he had that um, so, so well you, hidden. How, you don't. How are you to know? You, you don't not know. to know. There was no. So, you know, he, he, um, he had a decision made. Um, he was just waiting for an opportunity. Um, and he took that opportunity on that Sunday. So that Sunday was July the 29th. 28th. 28th. Actually, the 28th. Yeah. July 28th, 2013. Uh, Would you be able to just tell us in so much as you're comfortable yeah. about what happened that day? Again, a normal day um, of sorts in that. So at that point, Sandra's, you know, I'd, he was in the spare room. If you like, so I was in bed and uh, still it was whatever time in the morning. He brought me up a cup of coffee and uh, said he was thinking of bringing the boys bowling. Um, but he wasn't going to say anything to them yet because he hadn't you know, worked it out or timed it. And I said, that's fine. We were faffing about doing whatever throughout the day. The boys cooked dinner with Sanj. Um, it was dal, actually, dal and rice. And, um, you know, we'd... He'd eaten probably two, three o'clock. The only thing that was odd to me that day was that he seemed to be taking so long to say anything to the boys about going. But you're not overthinking it, you know. No. And I had been in touch. A friend of mine had asked if, we wanted, if I wanted to go for a walk with her. So that was going to happen. She was coming in about six o'clock to pick me up and we we're going to head off walking. And, um, you know, it was the summertime, so it was still bright. Hmm. And um, so I was kind of waiting for Sanj to go in a way. And I um, there was something that I needed to be dropped up to my my brothers. He lives just a, above, uh, live, lives just above us. And uh, so the boys, the, the plan then was that the boys would drop whatever it was up to Kevin and Sanj would then come up and pick them up there to go off bowling. So he'd said it to them at this point. So they had their dinner, everything was done, whatever jobs and stuff like that that were, they were up to. Um, or that they were doing and they were going off bowling and I was going off with my friend. Um, she had arrived in the meantime before Sanj left. Um, and do you remember saying goodbye to the boys? Not really, because mm. I was so going to see there was it was given. quick. They were yeah. running out the door to go up to Kevin's. And so there was nothing different in that. Mm. With Sanj, it was he was gone out the door. I was having a cup of coffee with Suzanne and then he he ended up coming back in to the house to pick up the camera. So we had a digital camera. That is the only thing that I look at and I go, what on earth? And I remember at the time going, why? 
But I didn't think about it too much. And actually, one of the things that we would have often talked about was the fact that while well, we had loads of photographs of Owen, we didn't have so many of Rory. And I think somewhere in the back of my head, I went. And I don't know whether that's after the fact or at the time. Um, you know, he's taking photographs of himself and the boys because maybe he's wondering what the future is going to hold for us. Mm -hmm. Makes sense to think that way. But that was just one of those kind fleeting of thoughts. fleeting thoughts because um, he was literally in, picked it up and left. Um, I went off for my walk, came back home. It was about, I probably got back home about eight, half eight. Realised there was no milk or we were running out of milk. So I phoned him. There was no answer. Fine, you know. And then it got a little bit later and I I phoned him again. And wherever I was in the house, I happened to hear the his phone ringing. He'd left his phone behind. Um, upstairs in the bedroom. Now, again, I could explain that quite easily at the time because while everybody has a smartphone now, and this is only 10 and a bit years ago, smartphones really were only kind of coming in mm. at that stage. So he'd had an old phone, you know, lucky that he used to keep in his pocket, his back pocket, whatever, you know, whereas this was a new smartphone, you know, he was being careful about it. He'd only had it a month or so, if that. So he was being really careful with it. And so it didn't, he, alarm, it didn't alarm me at mm. all. It was he forgot it. Mm -hmm. He walked out and he mm -hmm. just forgot it. And uh, except for the fact that now, you know, we Couldn't were allowed to get up in the morning yeah. to get milk. So that was 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock came. And you're starting to wonder and question at that stage because this. But you kind of gone, OK, well, bowling and if they've gone to McDonald's maybe or somewhere like that afterwards and if maybe they've met somebody maybe you know and he doesn't have his phone with him so he couldn't contact me but so you're, you're kind of justifying it all in your, you in your making head making allowances, allowances yeah. and, and re given reasons but then so, you run out of those allowances totally and it got to about 11 and I was like okay I'm going to wait until half 11 and then you I'll wait till quarter to 12 and you're just because you're hanging on going no stop don't be panicked it's yeah. silly Anyway, I phoned my brother then and because I couldn't find the keys to the second car. He had them with him as it happens. And uh, the second car only had once we only had one set of keys for. So anyway, Brian came down, brought me into Carlo. Um, I wrote a big note that I let stuck to the floor um, at the front door to say, phone me as soon as you get in. Um, and we went in. I thought I saw the car at one point. Um, and Brian said, well, do you want to turn around and go back? I said, no, no, we'll keep going because actually by the time we get into Carlo, they'll have gotten back home. He'll see the note and he'll ring me. And 15 minutes, 20 minutes went past and no phone call. And I'm like, OK, what's going on? Turn around, came back. Brian said, did you want to go into the guards on the way back? And I said, no, no, we'll go home. Sure. You know, they'll, they'll be there when we get home. And I remember so well that drive. So we turned up my road, if you like. And the house was on the left hand side. You could just about see the house, but there's a certain point on the road where you would see the front door where the car would be parked. You could see the cars. And as I was driving up, there was no car. That's that was the moment when I went, something's wrong. Something's really, really wrong here. This would have been close to one o'clock. Wow. And so fear begins to rise yeah. straight into the house. And I phoned the guard straight away in um Carlo, Bag I think Bagnellstown, maybe one number and I went through to Carlo and um, they took it seriously from the very, very beginning. Um, and 
uh, at that stage we knew he had gone somewhere uh, wherever he had taken them. Now, it never occurred to me that he would hurt the boys in any way. And in fact, my mantra all through that night and the next day until I got the phone call was he'll be all right. He's got the boys with him. He'll be all right. And what I didn't realize was actually that is true. It was the boys that su suffered, not him. He was all right. Mm. Um, but that wasn't what was going through my head when I was when I had that in my head. It was like he's got the boys because it never, ever occurred to me that he could hurt the boys. It just wasn't. I know it was there. The guards thought about it. My family thought about it. My brothers thought about it. My, But I didn't. Mm. At any point, it it was such if he, was your trust in yeah. your husband and and his his love for them, mm -hmm. you know, as I as I would have thought. Well, that's all you had experienced and witnessed. Yeah. So why would your brain go somewhere? It just wouldn't. It wouldn't. So yeah. I suppose all that time the focus kind of was more so on him yeah. and worry for him. him. And yeah. were you sort of connecting the dots going, look, this situation has happened. It's and happened. That's why everyone was like, yeah. oh, God, let's hope he didn't yeah. do anything. And that's it, because and uh, absolutely, if he had disappeared by himself, I would have assumed he was gone off to to take his own life. Yeah, that that's what it would have been. But, but because he had worry. the boys with him, you thought he was hiding again. I, it was hiding that he had panicked and had decided. And actually, what I thought uh, was that he's gone to the UK. So I kind of went right. They left me at, say, half five, six o'clock. I knew there was a ferry from Rosslare at about nine o'clock that night. Um, no phones. Didn't have passports, but I thought, well, he'll have the um, ID, ID or, or yeah. his, his driving license and stuff like that. So, um, you know, and we'd only been over to the UK um, about three weeks, pre four weeks previously. So I went, right, OK, he's got the ferry. They land. By the time he drives down to his mom's house, he'll be down there at whatever, five o'clock in the morning. And because we'd done this trip. And um, so I remember... So the first thing I did was so I'd phoned the guards, then I phoned his brother up in uh, Newcastle um, in down and in fairness, Kesh got straight in the car and came down. And I remember at the time going, yeah, no, Sanja's going to need somebody because when he does bring the boys back, if I don't go through him for a shortcut, somebody will. Somebody will. Mm. So he's going to need somebody. Mm. Um, so his brother came down and I remember waiting and going, OK, we'll phone his mom. We didn't want to phone in the middle of the night. I'll phone her. I think we phoned at about seven o'clock in the morning. Sister was there. Um, she lives in Spain and she she was happened to be home on holidays. And I went, right, OK, sitting on the phone, waiting for her to go out and check. Was the car outside? Was it parked anywhere on the road? Um, and because that's what I thought, that's where I thought he'd be, you know, that that's what he's done in my head. That's what he's done. And when you go from that anticipation of, yeah, no, she was going to come back in and confirm that he was there and they're all there now and whatever we'd have to do, we'd do. But, you know, that they were OK. And um, no, he wasn't. And I remember that feeling of just utter, utter devastation and going, OK, well, what now? Because I had spent whatever number of hours going, this is where he is, this is where he is. Um, and then what now? Because uh, where could he be? You know, and, Such and a so confusing time for you personally, because Again, your head hadn't even gone there, had no. it? That anything could be, could wrong. be wrong. It's just we need to find them. Where yeah, are they? Where are they? I Which thought, is traumatising and troubling enough on its own. And what where my head had gone with that was, 
okay, how do we come back from this? Mm. How do we come back from this as a family, as a couple? You know, it was bad enough what he'd done mm. and what he'd done was very bad. But this, to do something like this, to scare me, to scare the boys. And I had to assume that they weren't scared. They were with their dad, who they absolutely trusted and mm. loved and adored. So they had to be okay. They'll wonder and they'll question them. They'll be scared with whatever is going on because, you know, in my head, when, as soon as they came back, Sandra's going to be carted off to the guard station and how is it going to have to, I was going to have to support the boys and, you know, that was all the stuff that was going through my mind and I remember, you know, going, okay, we'll have to keep it calm when they do come back for the boys' sake and, and then when I thought they were in England, I went, okay, I'll jump on a plane. I'll get on a plane. I'll get over there to them. I had no doubt that Sandra's family would have been supportive of, of me and the boys. Um, it wouldn't be that they would be protecting Sanj in any way. I, I knew that instinctively. I knew, you know, uh, so in my head it was like, OK, I'll jump on the plane. I'll be over there with them as soon as um, uh, by by lunchtime today sort of a thing. And and they'll be all right. I suppose you, you, you probably thought, look at this other. This is another stupid mess that he's yeah. made now. Oh, yeah. For God's That's sake. For God's sake. Uh, and, you know, what have you really you've, what have you landed us and you in now? Um, so, you know, he wasn't. He wasn't in England. Um, so you're then going, OK, where now? And and I now know there was so much going on in the background. But, you know, um, I checked the um, uh, bank account. There was no activity on that. Um, I didn't have online access to the joint account. So that was in Bank of Ireland in Bagnallstown. So Brian brought me into Bagnallstown. And I remember walking out of the bank because there was nothing happening. There was no activity. Walking out of the bank and going, um, could hear a helicopter overhead. And again, that was just something. Now, bear in mind, at this stage, I've been up for over 24 hours. So there was just a noise going on. I could hear the, the helicopter. Didn't cop it at the time, but that was a they helicopter. They were searching. They were searching, mm. they were searching the, the river. Um, that didn't, again, didn't wow. even occur to me. Um, and then it's, it's kind of a blur at that stage. Mm -hmm. You know, I knew that was around about the 10 o'clock mark. Just a quick word from me here to thank our sponsors today, which is counselingonline.ie. They really believe in what we're doing here, our community and, you know, giving people a voice to speak about their loss and their grief and their loved ones. And likewise, I really, you know, believe in what they're doing. It's a fantastic Irish company that was set up when they saw a need for people to be able to access therapy at home online. Not everybody can get up and face the world and, you know, seek out a therapist and drive there. So with counseling online their motto is wherever you are we are there too so you pick up your phone your laptop whatever it is connect with somebody there make an appointment and that's it you don't have to leave your house what i love personally about it is there's a whole range of therapists on there so you can have a look you can see their photo on the website if there's someone that you like the look of you can organize um you know a, a, a zoom call or a phone call whatever it is that suits you at this moment in time and their help is specialized and they are professionals in what they do and if you feel like you are seeking some support with your loss or your grief or whatever sort of trauma or issues you are dealing with right now, then please do remember to reach out to counsellingonline.ie. I know the guards, there was a lot of people coming and going, family coming and going, neighbours, friends, and then 
the guards came and they talked about the cry alert. Um, uh, Child Rescue Ireland um, that they were going to be putting out a cry alert for the boys and to the media to the media the boys were the first cry alert in Ireland and thankfully every single call alert since has ended in uh, the recovery of the children that it was put out for so it's a, it's an alert that goes out to all the media um, so it would have been the notice boards on, on uh, motorways would have had a description all the media are alerted to it um, and it goes out so and now it's been added to the social media side of things has been added to it mm. so um, uh, putting putting that out but yeah no the boys were the first and I remember phoning one of the guys in, in one of my colleagues in work to to let them know that this was going to be going out on the media because, you know, obviously if my name was out there and, and, and you know, Chad has a, a distinctive enough surname. So, um, you know, I didn't want them to be hearing about it just from that. So I let them know. And uh, and again, sort of things were, were, were just progressing. And, and then one of the detectives um, was at the house and wanted to do an interview. So that was fine. Again, at this stage, you know, um, it's probably about two, half two. So we're heading for 30 plus hours that I had been awake. So, you know, you're going exhausted, <laughs> and, uh, exhausted mm. and just going running on adrenaline and um, sat down and I was I was starting, you know, sort of on the Sunday morning and, and with from my perspective. And he's like, no, no, no. He's like, I think yeah, so you were born in Ballinkillen. And brought up and I'm like, oh, he's going back that far. So I was like, OK, so we, we did a quick <laughs> go through and and halfway through that um, my phone rang. So I had my phone with me uh, on no number and came up and I answered it as I had been doing all along. And it was Sanj. And I panic. I remember Sean looking at me and, and I sort of and, and I love all those detective TV programs and all of that sort of stuff. So, you know, it's like, OK, I have to keep him on the line. I'd keep talking and, you know, all this stuff that just goes through your head. And I went straight into, OK, where are you? Are you OK? And he's like, no, there's been a crash. And I'm like, oh, are the boys OK? And there was obviously other words that, that within it, but the words I remember, are, no, they're dead in the back. And I remember I dropped the phone. Sean, Sean took it, the, the detective just took it up and I had I was in the sunroom at that stage and it's glass doors between the sitting room and the sunroom. So everybody in the sitting room knew something had happened. And I just I just lost it. And I, I kind of so there was that I can still hear a, a gasp, if you like, of, of sorts and coming out into the into the sitting room. And I remember being sat on the couch uh, just in front of the windows. And to the right hand side was the, the door into the sitting room and that was open. And just beyond that, then in the hallway was the, the front door. I remember and sat there and I remember Sean, the, the detective walking out of the house. And I'm sat there going, no, he can't be. He can't. They can't be. Dick. I mean, he's all right. And he was fine enough to be able to talk to me. You know what I mean? So they must be OK. They're probably dazed or they're worst case unconscious or something. Is that. But but if he's OK and he was driving the car, they have to be OK. And I don't know how much time passed. No idea. Um, but I remember him, Sean, coming back in. And I'm looking at him and. And I knew straight away and he 
all I can, my recollection of it is, is a shake of the head and I'm sorry, Kathleen, or something to that effect. And I just lost it. I went into what I call a really deep hole. And I remember the blackness and the darkness. And part of that darkness was everybody coming around me, if you like. So it was like I was and just everybody was there. And I remember seeing out, out through a chink is again how I can describe it and seeing my aunt. And I remember focusing on her and going, I have to get myself out. If I don't get out of this, I'm never going to get out I, in my head. I have to get out of this hole. I have to get out. So I focused on her. And that's what brought me back out of the shock, if you like. Um, and she did. Nobody knew that. But this is this is this was all that was going through my my head, if you like, and my body at the time. Um, and then physical I, reaction, a physical reaction. And then I went into shock. But that shock was OK, here we are. Necessary. Now, what do we do now? What's next? What, you know, and, and I don't think what well, to be honest with you, I don't think I actually realised or accepted in any way, shape or form that the boys were gone for about two years afterwards. Um, in reality, <laughs> but certainly in those moments, um, you know, and again, time, you know, you you think it's somewhere around the three, half, three mark. Um, but beyond that, I, I don't know. And, and it was there's a few things that kind of you remember then, like, you know, um, the, the, the guards wanted uh, the boys needed to be identified as quickly as possible so that they could actually sort of progress things. And uh, I remember going, yeah, no, that, yeah, fine. Why, how, you know, and uh, it was like, well, no, maybe Kathleen, maybe it would be better it not be you. And I was like, oh, OK, yeah, fine. I remember being so grateful after. For listening to that, if you like. Now, the guard, they were so sensitive and they were so good. And if I had insisted, they'd have brought me. But my brothers immediately stepped in and they um, they they were brought over to because the boys at this stage were being brought to um, Castle Bar a Hospital, um, Mayo General. And um, so my brothers, the one, I think a couple of the guards, because uh, it's four hours from Ballinkill, from Ballinkillen. Um, so they went and I again, lots of people around, lots of people had come up and um, I. I went to sleep for a while, I got into bed, I got into the bed that the boys shared and uh, my sister was there with me, so I slept. I don't know how many hours at that stage, but I remember Owen or <laughs> I remember Brian and Kevin coming back into the house. And again, it was about four o'clock in the morning at this stage, four or five o'clock. And I could hear the car coming in and I knew it was them straight away. And I remember in my head going, right, they're going to tell me it was all wrong. It wasn't the boys. But of course, I knew again, I went downstairs, met them and it was like, no, it was them, Kathleen. So that's, uh, yeah. So my life changed totally, utterly and completely in that moment. There was no going back. There was no changing it. Um, and I went into 
fix it mode. And I went into, you couldn't fix it, but I went into practical mode. And this is, here we are now. This is this is it. So at that stage, you know, I went into, I suppose, maybe a little bit of, OK, what do I do for everybody else now? Because actually, you know, I don't care about me anymore. So what do I do for others? And uh, what's the next step? What's the next plan? You know, the guards were around. Bless them. They were so good. And they um, at that stage, we had to get the boys back home, get them home as soon as possible. Um, you know, my brother um, was coming home from Australia. I had another brother in the Middle East. He was coming home. So, you know, now others were organizing everything. I, I didn't have to do any of the organizing, but, you know, knowing that they were coming home, how that was going to happen, um, you know, the funeral, the funeral it's, it's planning that process, big process. Yeah. I wanted to get the boys home. And because of the circumstances, there was a possibility that we weren't going to get them home for a week. So um, because they, they obviously there had to be an autopsy, but Sanj had to be, Sanj was, was had, I don't know, he'd broken a bone or something like that when he crashed the car. So he was in hospital as well, but which meant he couldn't be arrested until he was discharged. And he had the right to another independent autopsy. So in theory, that judicial process potentially could have meant that I wouldn't have had my boys home with me at all. And that it would have been a closed coffin and that I would have actually been brought over to the hospital to say to, goodbye to them behind a glass wall. Um, I didn't really know the full extent of that, but I knew that we were having trouble getting the boys released. Um, so there was a lot of pressure put on sort of locally and um, nationally in regards to that. I know the guards worked very hard in the background for that. I know the um, the funeral director, Tom Edmund, uh, Edmund is uh, he was incredible just incredible is my mum was a sarcast in, in Ballinkillen so she would have known a lot of the, <laughs> a lot of people but but uh, Edmund and his dad um, uh, I didn't actually know Edmund at all I knew his dad they're actually family they're distantly related to us as it happens but I knew from the very beginning when I first met him on that Tuesday morning that that we'd get on look after he you. got me he got where I was coming from in certain things. And because I ended up having a conversation with him about bringing the boys home and my nursing background meant I knew I knew we needed to get if I wanted to have a, a, a wake, if you like, um, uh, that, that we needed to get them back soon um, without getting into too much detail. I on know, it, I the bodies, yeah. but, um, and I remember so that push was on. That was all on Tuesday, Wednesday. And Edmund was ready to literally go and collect the boys when when that was required. Uh, as soon as he got word, he was in touch with the the guys that were working in, in the Morgan Mayo General because he knew them, you know, professionally, he knew them. Uh, so he was able to talk things through with them. Um, so it's an awful lot of stuff that was going on in the background, you sure, know. Yeah. Um, so he got word and he went to, to bring the boys home. And at that stage, then it was layout. We'll, we'll plan the, the um, funeral. And... We, um, I remember talking to the the uh, local parish priest, Father Declan, and uh, he, he was like, when, when, and I said, well, obviously I want them home for as long as I can. So maybe Saturday, Friday or Saturday. But I said, I need to talk to Edmund. So Edmund was on his way over at the time and I, I'm on the phone to him and I said, you know, planning the funeral now. So no, whatever, Kathleen, whatever you want. I said, no, Edmund, you know what I'm asking you. I need dignity for my boys. 
I'm asking you, is it better on Friday or can we push to Saturday? And he said, well, I think Friday would be better, Kathleen. And I, that's fine. That's all I needed. And I have to say, having spoken to so many people, knowing that there was somebody that could guide you and actually, you know, respected that I knew what I was talking about, that I could actually make decisions if I had the right information was huge. So, you know, what he did for me in, in, in that, just that conversation meant so, so much. Mm. Um, you know, the, it wasn't treating me with kid gloves, it treated me with respect, but not with kid gloves. And that was so important. So we uh, we got the boys home in the early hours of the Thursday morning. With them home on Thursday, Thursday night, I slept with them. Um, and we had them at home. They were in their bed. You know, for that, that last was important week. and it was important. Um, there were so many people coming in and out of the house. There were um, their friends coming and going. And, you know, again, it was the summer holidays, but the um, educational psychologists, the NEP psychologists from the school, from the education department were there. They were there with the teachers, you know, um, uh Michelle, uh, the headmistress, had, you know, had organised that and they were at the house as well. So that if there were kids that wanted to say their goodbyes to the boys, they could, you know, and that was so important. Um, and there's so many stories, if you like, that go with it. You know, like there were a lot of the boys had um, one of their friends brought toothbrushes because they were going to need to brush their teeth in heaven. Oh, gosh. And they were probably going to get dirty because they're going to be buried in the ground first before they got to heaven. And there were sweets, so there was innocent. toys, there was cuddly. There was so much of that. I remember, you know, one of my nieces and Emily just loves when I tell this story, um, reaching over to pick up a lollipop and her her mom say, no, no, that's that's Owen's. Um, you know, he's to bring that to, uh, to heaven or whatever way it was. And and Emily just turned around and said, yeah, but mommy, Owen wouldn't mind. <laughs> He'd share. And he would have. He'd have absolutely done it. Um, you know, so there's, there was that. There was my, my niece, Sarah, who was, and there was only six days between Sarah and Rory. They were so close. You know, sitting up on the bed beside, um, uh, I can't remember, I think it was Rory to start with. And she had, it wasn't frozen, but it was one of those, you know, it was a girly Disney, Disney type, thing. type thing on on her mum's phone. Um, and, 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 you know, showing it to, to him and kind of wriggling because she wasn't comfortable. She could, he didn't give her enough room. So she hopped down, walked around to the other side and in beside Owen. And I always said for all the trauma that they would have gone through and those last moments that they would have had were and have to have been traumatic. The only person that knows it is Sanj. He's the only one that has any insight into that. But I know those moments had to have been traumatic. So for all that trauma, there was peace in the house and there was peace with the boys. And I firmly believe that if they were not at peace, the children would have sensed that. The kids, as adults, we've lost that. But the kids would have sensed it and they would not have been as comfortable in and out. And they literally were in and out and in and out. It was as though the boys were just sleeping. Um, and that means so much to me, mm. you know, Um and even that the funeral itself, you know, it was it was so tough. But I remember going, I need to be with it for this. I need to plan this. This was this was my last celebration of their lives. And I needed I could fall apart next week. 
But this week I needed to hold it together. I needed to be part of the planning. I needed to know that it was my stamp. I chose readings. I chose songs. I chose what happened and how to celebrate, you know. So that was important. Very. For me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, as I say, my mum was a sarcastan. She got the church ready. Um, we, you know, it's a typical church, you know, it's the long aisle, the two side aisles. We always sat in one of the side aisles. I wanted to be there. I didn't want to be in the long aisle, which is where most funeral and the family of uh, would, would be. And I was like, no, 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 no. I want to be where we would normally be. We sat. I sat where I would have sat with the boys for mass on a fairly regular basis. Not a regular, regular, but a fairly regular basis. Um, she probably would have felt closer to them sitting that there. That was it. Mm. That was where it felt, where right. Were, felt right, you know. Mm. Um, nieces and nephews in and out, you know, and I wanted them to have the freedom. I didn't want them to be having to be quiet and, you know, sort of um, these these kids were, you know, between two and and five at this, you know, at, at, that, that was that was the age range. So they needed their free. They needed to be able to come and go. And again, you know, my my um, uh, uh, Rachel, I think it was initially, you know, because there was a lot of priests on the on the altar for this, including um, Bishop Dennis, um, who was a newly he was just being ordained that same weekend of the boy's funeral. And, um, you know, he uh, it, Father Declan was celebrating the the, the funeral service, but um you know, the bishop. And I think I think I counted about 15 uh, on because, again, through my mum, people would have known um, uh, uh, she would have known a lot of priests. And um, the I think it was Emily went up to give a leg hug. She would have always given Father Declan a leg hug on a regular basis. And he was a devil. He used to invite the kids up to the altar, up on the stage. You know, it was like, um, you know, and and. Father Murphy would have often talked about the fact that if kids can't be kids in the church, where else can they be kids? So, you know, be part of the the the, the process, if you like. So um, and and I know my nieces and nephews and my boys would have been known for being ones to wander around. Again, they were over and back to the church on a regular basis with my mom. So they knew it inside out. You know, they'd mm. have helped her on uh, regularly. So it was a place they were comfortable in, if mm. you like. And, um, and that in turn was comforting yeah, for you. Absolutely. So to mm. see that with with the kids and to know that that was 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 there was was important. And um, and yeah, you know, we went back to um uh, it's the railway bar in, in Bagnallstown afterwards. Uh, Frankie's, as we would have called it. The boys, they loved going in there for the lamb shanks. That was their, that was when lamb shanks were on the, the menu. We'd have gone in there. Um, and uh, so, yeah, Frankie and Mark put on lamb shanks mm-hmm. for afterwards. You know, they sourced them <laughs> wherever. And uh, that's where we went back to because that's, again, it was a place that the boys right close work, work, to them yeah mm. you know and it was somewhere my dad loved he loved going in there for lunch on Sundays so um, yeah so you 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 know and there's so much and, and the one of the things I've always talked about and I will often talk about now is even in the depths of of what was going on there and it was so devastating Um, it was like I mean I know Father Declan described it as like an earthquake and it, it was but there was still there was so much good. There was good memories. There was joy in the house. It wasn't all doom and gloom. 
and there was humour. And it's one of the things I, I because pe- particularly when it's the loss of children or a child, people are, you know, they don't want. Terrified. They're terrified. Mm. But there was humour. Mm. Um, there were things that went on. I find it really funny at times that, um, you know, obviously there were people coming to sympathise because they knew my sister or my brothers or, you know, they were they wouldn't have known me. So they'd come into the house and they'd ask for Irene and Donal or Brian and um, uh, and I'd be directing them. And then they'd be brought back to me to sympathise. And you could see the shock. And I was like, oh, my God, that was um, because they didn't expect to see me. They didn't, people didn't necessarily expect to see me, you know, functioning, I think. Yeah, upright. Upright. And uh, so, you know, there was that. And there was other things that went on just amongst the family. And I remember you know, a particular thing that kind of happened, um, there was a bit of hilarity going on as I was with the guards do, finishing off um, some of the, actually the, the interview that had been interrupted. Um, I remember the two the two guards being quite sort of, you know, shocked by the, 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 the I suppose, the level of, of laughter and what was going on behind. And I had to stop twice and say, no, no, no. What you've got to, I know what's going on. I know what they're laughing at out there um, and what is going on. But I said, that's what's going to get me through the days, weeks and months ahead. It's that. And the fact that people could still laugh, you know, and actually, you know, and, and have that because you you can't live in that utter darkness. shock and devastation and darkness. You just can't. You have to be able to step out of it. It's allowing that to happen and allowing that to to be part of, of to carry the, you through is what carries you through and and I think we do funerals really well in this country we we, we celebrate do, but as I always say it's the after that we don't that's, do so well and that's where we're experts yeah. pro level yeah. give you the best send off in the world yeah but what happens afterwards, afterwards is the issue and you know in talking to you there I'm reminded of I had a lovely lady uh, join me called Amy who lost her little girl Eslin in a car crash um, at the hands of another person um, dangerously driving. And I spoke to her about, um, you know, she also had similar tones in that she worried about her final moments. Was she scared? Did she know what was happening? Um, And it's, you know, you're reflecting the same sentiment. Um, so for you, I think so many times I've heard you speak in the past, it's all about the justice and what happened and stuff. But I'm interested to know for you that dark, dark, dark hole that, you know, is almost unsurvivable, as yeah. you say. Um, but I have no doubt that you fell in there right after that again. Would I be correct in saying that? Uh, yes, um, not as deeply in that moment. And, and I so. I talk about grief and shock and loss and devastation as a physical thing. So it's almost like this alien inside of my body that will, if I don't talk it out, it will just take over and it will absolutely, it'll just, it'll, it'll form cement in my limbs and I just will not be able to move. So I talk and I talk a lot. I did anyway, but I talk a lot. Um, And a friend of mine who was a psychotherapist knew she couldn't be the person to support me, but she put me in touch with the right person. I often talk about how lucky I was in the aftermath. Um, and I get cross about the fact that I say I was lucky. This should be for everybody. This shouldn't be 
it shouldn't be perchance. Mm. So I got to see, to meet um, a psychologist. It turns out that he was working out of my GP surgery, uh, which Anne didn't know when she was setting it up. I started seeing him within about a month of the boys and I was seeing him up to three times a week to begin with. And what that did for me was huge. Now, I appreciate that quite all, and it wasn't grief counselling. This was trauma counselling mm. and it was the circumstances. And, and when we first met today, I said, you know, one of the things that, that I look at is is the loss. The loss for all of us is the same because sometimes, you know, it's almost like there's a hierarchy and, you know, whose grief is more than. And, and, and that's not the case. Anybody. Now, I, I look at it, I suppose, for those and I identify with those that lost have lost a child mm -hmm. in whatever those circumstances might be. That loss is the same for all of us. You know, my loss of Owen is no different to my loss of, of Rory. You know, and it's the same for any parent that loses a child. It's the circumstances around it that add the layers of complexity. So there was a lot of layers of that complexity for me because of the circumstances and so having to be, deal with that. Would it be right in saying that it's the grief, I suppose, isn't necessarily what comes first. It's no, trauma, it's which trauma. is sort of different yeah. to grief. And right? it is. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, I I would say I didn't grieve for the boys for at least two years. And in those first sessions with the counsellor, um, psychologist, it was all about Sanj. Hmm. And... It, it, not entirely. I mean, we, yes, we sure, obviously, yeah. but it was it about was it was there. a focus was on mm. Sanj and, and that and how could he and why did he and but it was easier to focus on that than it was to focus on on the loss of Owen and Rory. And I, you know, the, it was months before I could do a shop for one person. Probably still struggle to do a shop for one person, if the truth be known. I shopped for a family for a long time afterwards when I did start shopping again. Um, I couldn't walk through, you know, Marks and Spencers without looking at the boys clothes because that's what I did. You know, I was looking for bargains all the time coming up to school time. You know, So there were so many different kind of times, if you like. But it was easier to focus on Sanj because it meant I didn't have to acknowledge that Owen and Rory were gone. So while on a logical level, I knew that the boys were dead, I knew they were gone. It was years before I accepted that they were gone and not coming back because somehow, somewhere in my mind and in my body, I wanted my children back. But I knew no matter how much I wished it, how much I longed for it, how much I wanted it, that wasn't going to happen. So I avoided it. And I focused on things that I could control and that I could um, that could as much as it didn't make sense what Sanja done that I could make sense of. And then things would come back. And it's funny, you know, again, nursing's my background. So all the Kubler-Ross, all of the, you know, the, the, the stages of grief. And I was again, I was angry. I was going, I'm not going to be typical. I'm not going to go through those stages. I'm not. But actually, do you know what? You kind of have to just give in to it and let it happen because then it happens. You don't you don't really have a choice in it. Mm. There's a certain you just are, you just are and you've just got to go through it. Yeah. Um, you know, frustration. I remember being impatient and, and, and you know, and I'm quite a patient person. But then I also remember going, I can't be bitter and angry. 
And and the way I looked at so my focus became my nieces and nephews and, and people talked about, you know, the joy was gone from life. The joy is never going to be. I will never have joy. Properly in my life again, I will be happy. But I won't have the same joy that I would have and should have um, going forward. But the joy for me was was being around my nieces and nephews and they have an incredible way of grounding you because basically, you know, and, and there were te- tears and I was able to cry in front of them and it didn't bother them. They come up to me, I get a big hug and a kiss. Um, and when they were old enough to be able to talk, you kind of got your Miss Owen and Rory, don't you, Auntie Kathleen? Or are you thinking of Owen and Rory? I miss them too, Auntie Kathleen. And you get a big hug and a kiss and then they're gone. So it's in the moment. And that was, and I knew that if I was angry and bitter, that they would not want to be around me. So I chose, and that was a choice, to not become angry and bitter um, because I'd lose. I'd be rolled out or they'd be rolled out. You know, they'd have to, you know, seek Aunt Kathleen at a whatever family function or Sundays or Christmas, whatever it would be. But I'd be this creature kind of thing in the corner that they just wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't engage with. They'd be afraid Mm. or, you know, and, and that was so important to me. So. When you had them coming and and they would do it spontaneously, not just because their mommy or daddy said they had to, but they would actually come up spontaneously, Mm. sit on my knee and just snuggle in. That was it was heartbreaking. So heartbreaking. But it was what kept me together and kept me going. Um, getting that love and warmth. Oh, yeah. And you needed that. And also, you know, something someone said to me one day, I I, we had a hug when you came in. I hugged someone one day. I said, do you hug? And he he had lost his wife, actually. And he said, I really miss hugs. Yeah. He hadn't had a hug in yeah. so long. Yeah. I suppose for you, the affection you'd be getting from your boys. boys. All that, that was, was just in a moment gone. Gone. That you were probably afraid of yeah. ever losing affection. And that's in it. Some, in some, in some shape or form. And the innocence and the purity of, of children. Because that's what it was. Yeah. And it is. And it is. It's that spontaneous, you know, that, you know, my the, the youngest of all of, of the nieces, Evelyn, is, uh, what is she now? Six, you know, and I get she comes running mm. to give me a hug. And she didn't know Owen and Rory. Mm. She now, you know, I mean, she's only six. So and there are a few of my nieces and nephews that never knew the boys. Those that did have. You know, they vague memories. And some of those are memories that we've probably created for mm-hmm. them. True stories. But mm. they actually, but the, the boys are part of their lives, you know, and that is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, the hugs I get from, in particular, Owen's friends, because they were that little bit older um, and they're now in their 20s. Wow. Um, you know, and I literally, I mean, it's so funny, as I, as I often say, I, I meet. I'm, my head comes somewhere between their belly button and their chest. You know, they're all so tall. I, young people now are just tall. I'm turning into my mother when I say that. But anyway, <laughs> um, but the hugs and the acknowledgement and and you know the you know, the, and and that that means so, so much. much. They'll talk about the boys, not so much anymore, but they will talk about them and they remember them. You know, and I, I see, you know, the young people in Ballinkillen were so affected by this, you know, and because Sandra's part of the community as well. You know, he was training them in, in hurling. And so 
you know, but but how it was handled afterwards and the support that they got, I think, has given them possibly a, a grounding that they wouldn't have had otherwise in life going forward. Um, you know, they've they've and they've lost other um, schoolmates as well um, since then. But what they've, you know, what I think within the, I mean, if you knew that the community in Ballinkillen is incredible. There's Closeness. such a strong, mm. close, um, and they are there. Now they're again, they're no different. It's all you know. I mean, communities, but but they embody for me what community is about. But something like that, um, a tragedy to occur like that, um, in a community, it's felt like a family, I suppose. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When it's a small, it's a small community, community because everybody's yeah. affected and yeah. everybody knows. Yeah. So it's tangible almost. Isn't and that's it, it you see. And, yeah. and, and that's so what it, it changes became. It the changes. very DNA of that community. Yeah. And, and it does because yeah. and, and when people pull together in a community like that, you know, it's so important. Now, not every community has that or has that support or can access mm. that support. And that's where I go. That's what's wrong. It, you know, for me to turn around and say I was lucky in the circumstances. I'm glad to be able to, but it is wrong Yeah, <laughs> because it means it. everybody doesn't get it, mm. you know, and uh, and that's what and it is. It's what keeps you going, you know, and you'll have come across this so often. People talk. There was a point where I was I think I was on Twitter because I, I hadn't social media before. But, you know, in the last 10 years, I've had time that, I, you know, so I'm mm. engaging and I was reading through and I used to try and work out why did I why was I upset every time I came off? The, we'll say if I was scrolling through through Twitter, it's because I followed every grief um, group, every justice, uh, you know, uh, parole, uh, judicial things. I, I mean, I was and I was like, my head was just melted. So I got rid of it, deleted it. Um, but what you hear so much is the negative side of grief. And there is a positive side to it. I wish to God none of us ever had to go through it. But there is a positive side to it as well. But the focus is always on the negative. So, you know, you, you read about things like, oh, yeah, my, I lost friends or I, you know, people avoided me. Mm. Um, and I'm sat there re reading through some of this going, no, no, no. Well, now maybe I just didn't notice. So maybe people did avoid me and I just didn't notice. So if I didn't notice, I kind of go, well, it doesn't matter then. But um, good things happen and, and good things happen. But and you don't like I suppose people are almost maybe afraid to um, big that side up because yeah. it would make it seem like, oh, I don't mind what happened because that's not the case. case. Of course, of yeah. course, it goes without saying yeah. none of us want to be grieving. But, you know, I've met some, some yeah. incredible people and I feel grateful to yeah. have met them. Yeah. And likewise. Regardless. And likewise, and, you know, I've got more friends now than I, I ever had. Mm. And I mean, we've often talked within the family, both the immediate and extended family. Um, and I grew up surrounded by cousins. They were my, you know, so there's a group of us that are really close. We came together and we have become closer because of what happened. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's OK for that to have happened. To say to, that. To, to say that. Yeah. And to, you know, um, and, and it's the same with other. I have met some incredible people. I've had opportunities that I wouldn't have had. I would give every single one of them up in a heartbeat to go back to a time where I didn't know this was a possibility. But I can't. You know, I cannot bring Owen and Rory back. 
and I can't bring my life back to what it was. So you can't you have to look forward Um, that doesn't work for everybody. And I know that and I totally respect how that would be for other people. Um, and, and, you know, we there isn't a manual. There's lots of books on grief, but there isn't actually a manual. The only manual that I could write on grief is the one for me. Your own. My own. And we are all the same in that way. And I can look at people that are grieving in all sorts of circumstances and go, no. But that's what works for them. Mm-hmm. And 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 if I can't tell you how you should grieve for your sister and brother-in-law, because that grief is bigger than just that loss. And if you don't mind me talking about, mm-hmm, you know, it, it is it's it's you're thinking of your nephews and their lives. And that's what ends up. I'm, I'm putting myself in, in, yes, in your shoes. You're bang on. Correct. And that's what. So you've not just lost. I look at my life and I look at my nieces and nephews and what that loss has brought to them. Mm. I look at certain situations within the family where I go, if Owen and Rory were here. If they had been here the last 10 years, that might not have happened or that might have been easier on. You know, I look at it now since my dad died. He died beginning of COVID. So three and a half years ago, I look at how life would be now if we were still because I've moved from Ballinkillen now. But if I was still with Owen and Rory, we'd still be living in Ballinkillen. Most likely Owen would be 20 now. I'd be going, now, would you ever go over to Nana and, and chop wood for her? Would you light the fire? Would you do? And it's not that the others don't do that because my brothers are there to do it of as course. well. So it's not that it's but not it happening. But it would have been your experience. But that's what my experience yeah. would have been. Um, so I look at the, you know, what 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 my family have lost, what the community has mm. lost. Um, and, and you do go and there's so I talk about layers all the time. There are so many different layers to, the to ripple all this, effect, the too, ripple effect. It ripples out. And it does. Mm. And, and, you know, and, and that can be a very negative thing or it can be positive. And, and if you look at some of the the really tragic situations that have gone on in, in recent years, you know, in, in losses and within communities and, and you do see communities coming together. There's an openness now. Things are not brushed under the carpet in the same way that they used to be. And I think there is a recognition now that it is OK to grieve and that you don't have to hide that away. I mean, if you think about it in years gone by, you, you hid away. You mm-hmm. know, I wouldn't have come out, wouldn't have been seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, so. But do you think that's probably helped you to have that openness to, and freedom to to, to wear your grief and that's it. Proudly almost. Yeah. I look at it now. I don't. Uh, tears don't bother me. Yeah, you know, me either. Uh, just, <laughs> yeah. the, you know, you're going to cry. You're going to cry. And, and that's OK. Yeah. There's a sign of strength sometimes yeah. in, in, sure. in a way. Um, and, uh, and 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 they're, they're love almost. Oh, they are, you know, and and it's OK. It's OK to 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 cry. I mean, again, you know, I, I one of the things I did discover. So there's a few things I couldn't understand why after the funeral, I my temples were really, really sore, really like bruised until I actually realized that because I'm only five foot two, every time somebody was giving me a hug and people are inclined to hug you that little bit tighter, I was hitting their collarbones. <laughs> and that's so I ended up really so my forehead was hitting their collarbones oh when I was when you were pulled in. So that um, 
what I discovered, you know, people are so good and they were coming to visit. So I'd have maybe two or three different people in the morning, two or three in the afternoon. They mightn't all come together. So I couldn't understand why I was so exhausted. And it was because I was having the same conversation with each individual person. Um, uh, so I was exhausted at the mm. end of it. They were and they were so good to come and they, you know, they weren't staying too long. They just had a cup of tea. But but inevitably the discussion came to to what had happened and, and the funeral, all of that. And I kind of went, OK, OK, what do I do here now? Well, actually, you know, if I meet them. So I used to meet people in the Arboretum in Lachlan Bridge, which is a garden centre, gorgeous cafe, quite big couches. So you could get somewhere quite private. And that's where I'd go. So it was almost but like I was you hosting. Could, you could, I could leave. leave. So you had the cup of coffee. You weren't putting the kettle on again. Um, And I that's where I realised I could cry in public. That was OK because, you know, I'd be discreet. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to sort of <laughs> in the middle of but it would be discreet. No, but I could cry. Um, but actually that meant that worked really well for me because it got me out of the house, which was so important. Mm. Um, But it all and, and sort of surrounded by people. And then you didn't ever get into as deep a conversation when you were out like that. And yes, I could cry and it was limited or you could meet two or three people together. And what I needed back then was to hear about somebody else's life. I needed to know what was going on in other people's lives, you know. You needed a sense of normality as well. Absolutely. Because, you know? well, there is no, no normal do. after that. No. You have a new, new life. No, a new life. You're no longer the Kathleen no. beforehand. No. That's all gone. And it goes yeah. with the boys almost, doesn't it? it and it does. And yet you I was still. build a new life. And I was still me, though. That right. was the thing. So okay. it's Different that. experience. It, that's, and that's the thing. So I will never be the person. I was, but then I was never going to be the person that I was before I had Owen. I was never going to be the person that mm. I was before I had. Ro so there's all sorts of things that happen in your lives, but I was still me and that inside. was important inside. Mm. And I still needed to be to be me, you know, and things like I mean, I had to sit down with friends and, and my family and say, it's OK to talk about your kids. It's OK to tell me about them. It's OK to give out about them. It's even OK to say, oh, God, I could kill him or her. I know that's not what you mean. I know you're just using words. Um, and so so stop apologising. No doubt you have had so many instances where someone nearly collapsed oh, in front collapsed. of you for saying the wrong Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. And they think and the, what I will say is for me, there is no wrong thing to say. Mm -hmm. Actually, what you I want you to be normal around me. So please mm -hmm. have that conversation. Uh, you don't need to apologise for wanting to you know, whatever you're with you, because actually there are probably times, particularly if it's my nieces and nephews, that I would feel the same way because they're driving me bananas <laughs> because that's what kids do. Yeah. You know, I describe the boys. They're absolutely angels now, but they sure as heck weren't when they yeah. were down here. They yeah. were normal yeah. Yeah. kids. And, you know, we, we can't forget that, mm -hmm. you know, and it does get lost, doesn't it? It does. And, and kind of. Yeah. Um, you think it should saints be. out of everyone that's gone that's like they it. never. I often say yeah. that me and my sister used to absolutely tear strips off each other. And yeah, that hasn't. I'm not going to say it didn't happen because <laughs> it, it did. And that's the thing. Yeah. So, you know, there's so many. Um, and, and again, that's what works for me. And I know there are people out there who will have lost children and would be absolutely devastated to think that somebody would talk about their child in front of them. Yeah, I, I, I know, you know, and, I know. And, and that's OK. But that's why it's important to point out that grief is so unique and exactly. what works for you isn't exactly. what's going to work for everybody. And I often think, you know, because people will 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 talk about, oh, I have to meet so and so and I'm, I'm not sure what to say. And I said, well, take your cues from the person. 
if you can at yeah, all. Read, read it. Read it. Yeah. Um, don't make presumptions. And actually, and I certainly I know for me, ask if you're in doubt, if there's something that you're worried about bringing up or talking about, ask the question. Ask. Now, look, at I, I know what's gone on. I know you've gone through. I know the time of year it is or I know. Is it OK? Or would you prefer not to discuss or that I don't talk about? So ask. Because mm, it's given that level of respect as well, isn't it? And, to, to, and to everyone involved. Yeah. You know, and, and I've, I mean, I go back and, you know, when I said I don't want to be treated like with, with kid gloves, I, I want to be treated with respect. And, and yes, it's kind of nice if you're nice to me, but but I can't. I, let me make up my own. I still have a I still have my head and my mind. And, and so let me sort of. Yeah, you don't want to be tippy toed around no, either. No, mm. and that's it. So, um, you know, and again, that's what works. That was that is what works for me. It doesn't doesn't for everybody. I talk. And You're a talker, yeah, like myself. In the last, yeah, yeah I mean, it's probably fairly obvious. No, <laughs> no, but that's, but yes. I mean, <laughs> yeah. But you know what? I yeah. spoke to a therapist one time and I kind of was of this belief that um, everyone just needs to talk like talk. And oh, they're <laughs> yeah. not talking talk. You have to talk. But a therapist actually said to me one time that her belief was that people will grieve how they were beforehand. So yes. if they weren't a talker beforehand, it doesn't mean they're going to now. Yeah. And maybe that they will find, you know, taking up marathons or running yeah. will be the their therapy. That's how they will get it out. Yeah, absolutely. But for you and I, <laughs> we talk. To talk. And yeah. that's it. So you and can imagine. And it is helpful. But you can also imagine how exhausting it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. Because that's the that's and that's where I had to actually come up with ways mm, to, to hold back, to hold a, little back a little bit. Mm. You know, I, I probably overshare in a way. I, mean, I know I do. But for your does, own. But for it's your how own. it works, yeah. you know, and, and it's it's so it is, you know, and it's it's realizing that 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 there are expectations of you out there. But actually, you don't have to follow mm. follow those expectations. You know, talking and talking to other people. Um, I remember meeting a mom who'd had a similar situation to myself. Um, I don't think Una would mind me, me mentioning her name. Um, she lost her two children and her husband killed himself at the time as well. And I remember she was probably the first person that I ended up sitting with who'd had something similar to myself. And I remember being sat there beside her. We were we talked for about three hours, I'd say, in a hotel in Kilkenny uh, in in the lobby. And I remember thinking, if only people knew. (laughs) But to talk to somebody who got it, who just got it, uh, our circumstances were different, um, you know, in in sort of what led it to us to to the circumstance, to what happened in both cases. But it was it. She just got it. Talking about family, talking about friends, talking about in-laws and the experiences that you you had from that. All of that. And and since then, I've spoken with lots of people, unfortunately, who've had somewhat similar, um, certainly traumatic experiences and traumatic losses Um, and talking to somebody who just gets it. It's, it's like nothing else. Huge. Right? Yeah. It's huge. Yeah, it is. Um, because no matter so what important. your family and your friends want. And and one of the things that one of the wisest things my mom, I think, said to me, it, very, very just that we'd only just found out. She put her arms around me and she said, oh, Kathleen, I know what you're going through. And she stopped herself and said, actually, I don't know. Mm. Oh, good for her. I don't know. And as devastated as she was, she'd lost her grandsons. 
But she didn't as a mm-hmm. mother. Mm-hmm. She didn't. She still had me. But there's no one that can know unless they've witnessed, they've witnessed it and gone through it, walked similar, in. Yeah. And the, even walking in my shoes, my shoes are always going to be slightly yeah. different size to everybody yeah, else's. Of course, so, of course. And that's, you know, so there's talking to somebody who goes to the grave of her children every single day. Um, I used to bump into her on a regular in Ballinkillen. Um, and and I remember very early on Brida saying to me um, and this was the first time I realised what talking to somebody else who'd gone through similar w- would mean and she'd lost her, her children it was through illness but and it was many years previously um, one of, of her children would have been the same age or close to the same age as me so you know it had been a long time but she said she said now I hope you don't mind me saying that but she said you know I still remember my my children Every day I still pray to them. I still have a little cry over them. I still come and visit the grave. She said, no, she said, it's, you know, it's been 30 years or whatever. And uh, I remember going, oh, thank God, I won't I won't forget the boys. And that was the first time I went because and I didn't even know I was holding that thought until and she and now I have spoken to her about it since. But what she did for me in that moment, she didn't. She wasn't doing it on purpose. She wasn't sharing something profound in her mind. But what it did for me was huge. Again, it gave it gave you freedom, freedom. and space, and yeah. you're allowed, and that's it. Because it probably was a part of you deep down going, okay, eventually I'm going to have to oh, yeah. not talk about this anymore, yeah. and everyone's going to be like, come on, yeah, move you know, on. It's been twenty years, Cheers. yeah. But for her to say, say that, it's like, oh. and it was, mm, you know, I get that. Talking, I don't go to the grave. Mm. Um, I don't either. I often. don't. I don't. It's not where graves, the boys. Yeah. No, that's not where the boys are they're for me. You see, they're they're with me all the time. You know, um, friend of mine created a, a blanket out of their their sports jerseys. Um, oh. Oh, it's incredible what she. It's just, and I've always said that blanket, the two teddy bears, because I kept the teddies that they they held dear and and sent the the next two, if you like, because they had a lot of teddy soft toys um, with them when they were being buried, because I figured that they wouldn't mind me holding on to um, their closest one. Yeah, yeah, Teddy, Teddy and Tiggy. Um, oh. And uh, so they're that everything was, to you. They, and they are. They're, they're just there. So those two teddies, my favorite photograph of the boys and uh, that blanket. And I can literally go everywhere or anywhere in the world with those, uh, with those. And, and the boys. And I, I when I moved out of my my house, so I sold the house um, COVID, I found really tough. So um, I didn't get much comfort from the house at that point. And I kind of went, right, OK, it's time to move on, move forward. As I keep saying, it's not moving on, it's moving I forward. Um, but I uh, so I sold the house and I hadn't turned the house into a shrine, if you like, for the boys. That was that was important. And it was a decision I made quite early on. You know, I slept in the room that that what was essentially Rory's room, but that they both slept in where they wake were waked. I slept in that room for a long time. I didn't move into it, but I just slept in it for mm. about two and a half, three years. I still had my own bedroom um, and I get up in the morning and I, you know, move down there to get dressed. I get undressed in my own bedroom and move. You know, so it was it was just to sleep in. Um, and even moving to back to my own room was I thought was going to be a big thing and it wasn't. I literally just lay down in the bed one night because I was whatever I was doing. I was tired, just lay down because I was reading or was whatever. And suddenly I woke up the next morning and that was it. I moved back in, you know, mm. Um. so but I didn't feel like that was any, you know, I was leaving the boys behind or anything like mm. that and doing that or I was that, you know, Um. it was important 
for me to do that and to, to, to make that move. Um, because as I keep saying, I bring them with me anywhere mm-hmm. I go. They are now, I was not leaving them in Ballinkillen when I sold the house. They were coming with you. They were coming with mm-hmm. me, you know, uh, and that was that was important. Um, and it's again, it, it works for me. That's exactly it. It's your life. It's your story. Yeah. Unfortunately, we have to, <laughs> unfortunately, because I would stay. There's at least three more hours of a conversation in us, isn't there? I think there probably is, yes. Um, but, that's but thank you so much for coming in and sharing with me so honestly and so openly. Um, it's just, you know, so touching to hear your story, to hear about the boys. They were yes. fabulous, yeah. fabulous humans. Yes. And they, they do stay alive in in your telling of yeah. them daily. Yeah. I, I'm so proud of you to continue talking and thank you constantly keeping them there with you because so you should. Nobody yeah. should ever forget yeah. about Owen yeah. and Rory no. ever. And they won't. No, they you're won't. a wonderful woman. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I'm sure like myself, you were blown away by Kathleen and just her strength of character to be able to articulate one of the most horrific things that is imaginable to any human being. Um, She is just a pillar of strength and I just hope that you have taken something from our chat. I feel like she'll give a bit of hope to people um, who are in the depths of their own loss and grief right now. Um, As I said in the intro, it was really important to me to try to focus on Owen and Rory and speak about them and what they were like and their interests in cases, inverted commas like this. Oftentimes, I think the public and the media can be very interested in what happened and the justice system and the details of the event and what happened. But for me, I really wanted to focus on the boys and her own grief and her loss and how she copes now. Thank you all, as usual, for tuning in. If you did enjoy this episode, I really would appreciate if you'd hit the follow button here and rate on the channel, tell a friend, and I will talk to you all on the next episode.